In therapy and in music, the baseline informs where we go to next. This is the show that examines the present state of music therapy and asks, where to from here? Welcome to Baselines with Joe Thompson. This podcast was made on the lands of the Darug people. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Baselines. Before we get into the episode, I have some sad news to share, which is that this is going to be the last episode of the season. However, this comes with good news that there will definitely be a season three, and that season will have an international theme. I've already recorded at least one podcast for this new season, and I'm excited about the other ones that I'll be able to do as well. My guest today is Aaron Skinner. Aaron Skinner is a registered music therapist with a broad range of experience working with groups and individuals across the lifespan. She's currently working with children and families in mental health and in disability. She has a passion for working alongside children and families to support healthy relationships, emotional well-being, resilience, and creative self-expression through strengths-based approaches. Aaron, welcome to Baselines. Thanks so much for coming on. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. So I am coming into my third year of practicing as a music therapist. Yeah, I did my training in Melbourne, had some fantastic lectures and fantastic teaching, then moved to Sydney for work uh, in my first year out and have been in Sydney since then. And working with, yeah, a bunch of different populations. I've done a lot of NDIS-based work with a lot of kids. Yeah, working on, you know, very functional goals. Did a bit in aged care. Did a bit in adult disability. And am now sort of doing a bit more in, I guess, family-based work, child and family-based work um, in, yeah, like a mental health model. Today's chat's going to be a little bit different, I suppose, because... One of the reasons I wanted to have you on was really just because when you and I worked together, we just had lots of really interesting conversations about the nature of therapy and different approaches and stuff like that. And so, I was just really keen to have a kind of zoom out big picture, what what drives us, what kind of thoughts are good thoughts to think as we think about our therapy and yeah, just kind of talk a little bit in a bit more of an abstract way. Are you able to sum up your general approach to music therapy for your work? I think probably my approach has been refined a lot more over the last couple of years than I have been practicing. I think coming from Melbourne, there was a real focus on probably a lot more of the mental health side of music therapy. Like I think we got a lot of training sort of around, yeah, mental and emotional health. Um, and I guess how integral that is to, you know, all therapy. Um, so there was a lot of focus on counseling and um, I think a much bigger focus on the therapeutic relationship and not, I mean, not that other courses don't have that, but I think, yeah, may, maybe a much more valuing of the role of the relationship, looking a bit more at music in therapy as opposed to music as therapy. And so while both are so valid and both often are in like interwoven and overlapping, um, I think uh, I think what I learned from that was like there's a real value of both of music as therapy and also music as part of the therapeutic relationship and building that um, and music being a tool that's often used 
um, to help develop that relationship through then, you know, which growth and, and change happens. And so I think both are so important. And I think especially working with a lot of the time autistic kids or kids with disabilities, I think I learned a lot more about what it looks like for music to be the therapy in and of itself. Like uh, I think that really changed and, and reinforced the um, idea that actually music is inherently therapeutic and so much of that therapeutic change is happening as we interact and as we engage in the music itself. That was the first thing I think I was going to comment on that was the approach of um, leading with relationship, if we want to sum it up that way. Perhaps that is a valid approach, but more valid in some contexts than others, working with some populations more than others, do you think? I think it's so dependent, not even on the population, but just on the situation, like dependent on the client, because I definitely think, yeah, working especially in that scope and in that area with NGOs clients, I think there was a lot of times that I was really amazed by the way, oh my goodness, I actually think, yeah, music was so, so crucial and so fundamental in this process of change, um, which I don't think I'd necessarily expected. So like to be, you know, greater than the relationship itself. But I think I learned a lot about how to use music really intentionally to facilitate, you know, like neural change or, or, or behavioral change. But at the same time, it was also this process of learning more and more about how actually the relationship itself is also so crucial to therapeutic change. And I think that's been probably the approach that I lean towards more is that ultimately, I guess I believe that I'm, you know, doing what I'm doing because uh, I'm here to create relationships with people and, uh, you know, make them feel like there is connection and, you know, make them feel valued in that and bring about, uh, you know, beauty and restoration through that relationship. And a way that we often do that is through music, but also at the same time, the music is often working um, simultaneously to bring about that as well. So it sounds like you've done a journey on this already, basically, almost maybe a full circle. But what I wanted to pick up on, even though it's a small point, is that it's interesting that you went into certain work wanting to lead with the relationship, if you like, and thinking that that was where the the most therapeutic potential was, and then discovering that the music was active at the same time. And I found that really interesting because I remember reading a book once about this debate about whether or not music therapy should have goals or not. And I think what was informing the camp that was saying, no, there aren't, it's not good to have goals in music therapy was an idea that the music, the inherent properties within music are active regardless of whether you want them to be. Like if you're playing music, then the music is achieving an end neurologically or otherwise, whether that's your intention or not. Um, and it sounds like that's almost what you discovered. And so maybe it is, maybe leading with the relationship is really just leading with the thing that we have the most amount of control over. Well, that's so interesting because I had never actually thought about that before. Like when you said, um, you know, maybe the relationship is what we have more control over. There have been clients that I've worked with for weeks, sometimes months before I felt like I've established really good rapport with them. Um, ultimately, how a client responds to that is completely up to them. I, I don't know. I think it's probably equal. Like, yeah, obviously you can control what you put forth in a relationship as much as you can control what you put forth musically. But in either situation, you're improvising based on what you're receiving from 
the client or the environment or the atmosphere or the situation. Look, I know enough about you to know that you have a very uh, strong musical background and it's not like you couldn't uh, lean on your music skills if you if you wanted to. When people say that the, the relationship is and the interpersonal skills are the thing driving change and it's music in therapy rather than music as therapy, I always sort of wonder, well, you know, is there any different to bring your guitar into the session as to bring in a pack of cards or something completely non-musical? Like, why did you choose music therapy rather than just counselling then? Very valid question because, I yeah, I do feel like probably a lot of um, – I guess counselling skills do inform the way that I work. But I guess music because um, it's so universal. Music itself is so inherently therapeutic. And I guess from a personal standpoint, I'd experienced that so many times in my life, like the inherent therapeutic value of music to me and in my life. But I think music is such a beautiful thing in that so many people connect with it and so many people use it in their own personal ways. And, um, yeah, it's it's such a beautiful language that doesn't actually require um, you know, conventional understanding or conventional language. And it's so accessible by so many different people in so many different ways. And because it is quite, it's both concrete and abstract. And so that in itself just makes it so open to so many different kinds of people and, and the ways, you know, the very different ways that they um, express themselves. Like there's just so many possibilities for using music to do all of those things. And I, I think as well, like it's, it's inherently empathic. Like I think there are so many ways that we can manipulate and use music empathically. Uh, I guess, I guess like, um, you know, when we're improvising, especially like the way that we use music to respond to people or to offer things or to reflect or to match or to mirror, like there's so much implicit in that, that I think can be felt and understood, even if there's no other sort of conventional use of language the scope that music has to still do those things is quite amazing. Yeah, it's uh, one of the things that I think is particularly interesting to kind of fill in your point about music is we talk about the music, the properties that music has therapeutically, but um, sometimes I don't know if we define them specifically enough, like what, what properties. And what I think is interesting is that music has more than one property, which is fairly um unique as far as therapeutic agents go you know usually paracetamol just does the one job but um music can be used yeah as you're saying um expressively around identity around something like developmental skills on communication but um then socially as well and it and then what it sounded like you were beginning to describe was the, the interaction of two of those properties, the social coming together with the expressive and how two people can find themselves being expressive together and how that has a, a, a new effect to explore altogether. I think because we're all inherently musical as well, like if we consider music to be, you know, sort of any intentional way that we're engaging with sound or uh, using sound yeah. as an output to express something. I think universal is the word that you used before that because we find music in so many different cultures throughout history and and throughout the world, um like that's in itself significant and maybe what music therapy is trying to do is to tap into the value that so many different cultures have recognized music to have and to yeah to, just to use that in a in a in a medical or a, you know allied health 
whatever it is um, context. Yeah, and I think as well because it does, like, it does cross so many barriers and boundaries um, that maybe you can't, like, maybe language stops or conventional ways of socially interacting prevent. Yeah, I think it just enables much deeper sense of connection than, yeah, I guess than a lot of other therapeutic mediums. Music itself is such a beautiful thing. Like there's something so transcendent about music and I think everyone experiences that to a degree. Like whether you, you know, whether you love music or not, like I think everyone, there is something in music that people respond to because it is beautiful and it's like it's creative and it people are in awe of it and it's such a transcendent experience um when you're listening to music that you really love that you really admire yeah that's very interesting now i mean isn't and well said like and of course because you're not the first person to describe music as transcendent in fact i remember reading case notes of or historical case notes within my workplace of, of a therapist who I never met describing. It might have even been like a sort of mocked up measurement tool or something like that. And one of the measures that he was using was, did the music in the session in vibe uh, transcendence? I've never would have thought to talk about that in case notes. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I guess that is a sign of the times as well. And um, I don't know what NDIS would think of that. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe maybe case notes aren't the place for it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to disappear completely either. And yet it has. Um, that, that conversation around, I guess, the sort of aspect of music that actually we struggle to describe. Um, and so I guess we've just stopped describing it, perhaps. Um, the thing that, that, that um, doesn't fit into... Uh, measurable categories or doesn't fit into um, like goal-based outcomes Uh, like how do we what sort of conversation do we input that back into then I guess is the question Mm, I think you're absolutely right like I think because it isn't measurable um, and we work in a world that requires validated measurable quantifiable data yeah that that sort of uh, drifted out of the conversation because um, it's reliant on self-report and subjective experience which is not a valid often not seen as a valid measurement but I think it is so valid and I think especially I guess this is probably the mental health side coming in but when you're working in mental health, everything, you know, it's it's so subjective and it is so based on self-report because actually it's not your experience as the therapist, which ultimately, you know, has the biggest sway on the client's progress. It's actually what their experience of that therapy is. And so I think the experience of the music for the client should be part of that conversation because, you know, there are so many ways that they can be experiencing. I think it's probably coming back to music music as the therapy again. There's so many ways that the, the client can be experiencing the music as the therapy that actually we're not measuring because, yeah, it's not quantifiable. Sometimes I think I've, I've come out of sessions becoming so excited to um, the person that I've describe the session to like a parent or a carer after just detailing what happened. Um, And sometimes being scared to wonder whether it's just as exciting for the client. Um, And, and the thing is like, you can't know um, because it is um, very individual experience at that point. And as well, I guess when you're considering that a lot of the time we're working with clients who actually probably don't have language um, to put to that, you know, whether that's because, um, they, they, 
you know, don't have the, you know, conventional means of communicating that or whether actually it's just really difficult for them to articulate that. And maybe is that to come back one of the really valuable things about music is that um, because language isn't needed to have those, let's say, transcendent experiences, um, it it's one of the few ways that someone who yeah might be non-speaking or might uh, might might have difficulties cognitively or in some other uh, aspects can still experience that sense of otherworldliness something that's immaterial and yet so profound maybe maybe music is the only opportunity to interact with that yeah i definitely think it's offering a pathway yeah for them to experience that um, but I think also more broadly than that, it's offering an opportunity for, uh, you know, shared connection, but also for them to be able to contribute and them to be able to input, um, you know, in ways that aren't measurable by typical standards, but are still just as valid. Like, I think that can give so much purpose and so much uh, sense of achievement and accomplishment. As we've been talking about these kind of, you could call them mountaintop experiences maybe with like music that is just so beautiful. Um, and my in my experience, when I've experienced that, it's been maybe listening to some just incredibly beautiful piano etched by Chopin or something being performed by an incredible musician. Uh, and yet, of course, most of the time when we're working, we're smashing out yellow submarine on a guitar that might not be tuned properly what does that say about our work are we are we missing the point uh are we um do we need to reconfigure our sessions i mean i think there's something to be said for um the beautiful experience of being able to press on when you know that your guitar is terribly out of tune and you just (laughs) you power through anyway that is like that still has such inherent beauty in and of itself because if you're playing that song because actually you know that that client loves that song or that that client has a particular um you know emotional connection to that song or that that's really um i think that absolutely has transcendent value in it if actually the reason that you're playing it and the way yeah i guess your response to them in that moment is still client focused and is enabling their participation and their engagement and their contribution in that moment i think that's absolutely still transcendent in in its own way like probably not in the same way that you were describing as like maybe just being a passive listener um to a beautiful you know chopin piece but for that particular client i think that can absolutely still offer a transcendent experience based on you know their individual capabilities and means of engaging and connecting with that we also decided that we might chat about how personality informs approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have chatted before about how we're both introverts and how sometimes music therapists, I'm sure we're not the only music therapists who are introverts, but sometimes um, we see people getting out the front of a big group and doing something that's really high energy and um, uh, everyone has the best time of their life. It's like it's like you're being at a rock concert, and that feels just exhausting <laughs> so to me. Even exhausting. thinking about it, <laughs> um, yeah. But of course, so what do we do with that when our personalities are discongruent with the kind of work that we might feel like we're expected to deliver? I think it took me a little while to figure out that I didn't have to be that. <laughs> like I think I saw other therapists doing that. And I was like, dang, I want to, I want to be able to do that. Like, yeah, I think I, I would watch other therapists just with, you know, quite big personalities and just so, so charming and charismatic and just, um, 
just interacted so well with groups of people, but I just found that so exhausting. I love, I discovered that I love one-on-one work because I'm really good at actually interacting one-on-one and I can have, I think I can pace my energy a lot better and be a lot more calm and grounded in those one-on-one interactions than with a group. And so while, while I enjoy groups, I think I find the experience of just navigating lots of different personalities and lots of different um, dynamics and trying to field all that and, and facilitate all that, I just find that so exhausting and so overwhelming. But it's also interesting because I've started uh, in some of the, this new clinic work that I've been doing, I've started doing a couple of groups, um, but they're all co-facilitated, so you're always with another therapist. And just having someone else in the room is a game changer. Like to not have all of that responsibility on you to be looking out for multiple different clients, but actually being able to share that load and bounce off someone else um, to help facilitate that therapeutically has made the world of difference. And it's so interesting knowing that traditional, say, Nora Robbins music therapy that was an integral part of it, having a co-therapist yeah. there. So yes. maybe they're onto something. Yes. And I think as well, probably just because, you know, because of, I guess, something in our personality that probably draws us to therapy in the first place. But I guess then also our training on top of that means that you're you're very responsive and I think quite intuitive to what the other therapist is doing or trying to do. And, you know, obviously, obviously hopefully you're communicating <laughs> around that as well, but it feels really easy to be working with someone else in that space makes a world of difference. Remind me, as you were saying that, you know, we try and be strength space for our clients, but maybe before we even get around to that, we have to be strength space for ourselves. And Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in saying that, like, obviously as therapists, we should, also, we should always be trying to um, grow and to challenge ourselves and put ourselves in um, uncomfortable situations that spur us on to be better therapists as well. But yeah, also absolutely utilizing the strengths that actually we naturally have. Do you have a go-to therapy song? There's a song that I learned at uni actually called Walk Around the Room. And I love it because uh, for some reason it's, it's just the first song that pops into my head when I don't know what to do. Um, but also incredibly versatile. Like we can, you know, we can walk around the room. We can jump around the room. We can clap or shake around the room or, you know, it doesn't even have to be around the room. We can go out the door, whatever it might be. But um, I had a client also once. Um, I said, "Oh, what should we? You know, what should we do next?" And he said, "Oh, let's be eggs." And I was like, "Oh, eggs! Like, wow, that's creative! Like, how do we be eggs?" He was like, "Oh, of course, we roll around the room." So then we rolled around <laughs> the room for a bit as well. Yeah, very nice. That's very cool. And then this is always an interesting question. If you could time travel back to meet Erin uh, Skinner, the music therapy student, what would you tell her? What golden advice would you pass on? Oh, like space is good. Space is okay. Yeah, I think it took me a long time to be okay. Like I was okay with silence, but space is another thing. Like actually just not only giving not only living silence, but giving a client time and space to think and process and respond for themselves can often feel really uncomfortable because um, you feel like you need to be doing things and facilitating things and, and making progress and getting places. Um, but actually a lot of the time the client just needs space and that's 
that's part of the process. Like, yeah. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's really helpful. Last question. What is your favorite thing about being a music therapist? I just love that actually every day I get to connect with people through doing something that I love, uh, you know, and hopefully they love. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just feels like a real privilege actually to get to share in people's lives where we do because often we're, you know, working with quite vulnerable people and, you know, people people trust us with their lives. People are trusting us with their health and their well-being and that's a real privilege to work with that, um, you know, and get to use our creative skills for, you know, creative problem-solving problem and critical thinking and, um, you know, all these ways that make – our brains work really hard but it's so incredibly rewarding when we get to see the fruit of that um in our clients i always just find that such a cool note to end on erin it's been such a good chat thank you so much i value your thoughts so much no thank you so much i yeah i really enjoyed this so thanks <laughs> thank you for listening to baselines if you enjoyed the show please hit follow and leave a rating and a review my single purpose for making this podcast is that it helps us the music therapists of today to think clearly and carefully about what we do. I hope today's episode has given you something valuable to consider for your work and your practice. <laughs>